Welcome to the Code Life podcast with me, Carl Beach, and my great mate, Nathan Blackaby. Hello, mate. Any soldier who knocks out his commanding officer while drinking with him in a public bar and then escapes unpunished clearly must have outstanding virtues. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of Major Anders Lassen, VC, MC, Two Bars, 1920 to 1945. Wow. It's from a book called Supreme Courage, Heroic Stories from 150 Years of the Victoria Cross by General Sir Peter de la Billier, who spent much of his armed forces career in the special forces that Frederick Forsyth said of de la Billier. Few authors have the sure authority of General Sir Peter de la Billier. He was a professional soldier for most of his life and spent most of that period as an officer in special forces. He has won an array of medals for courage under fire and has no need to imagine a dry tongue of mortal fear or the adrenaline rush of combat victory. This is a book that demonstrates in clear, soldierly language just why, despite our age of rampant iconoclasm, the British armed forces still retain the nation's affection and respect. Anders Lassen did justice, escaped unpunished after knocking out his commanding officer. Flattening, Major the El Jellico, without warning, in a drinking den in Tel Aviv because he took exception to something that had been said. Jellicoe, though in his own words, rather surprised, forgave him, not wanting to have him court-martialed and so lose the services of an invaluable fighting soldier, a morally courageous piece of insight on his part. Lassen was extraordinary in many ways, a tall, blonde Dane, whose devastating good looks and normally smiling demeanour concealed a ruthless killer he was dedicated to the extermination of his country's enemies, the Germans. He's the only member of the SAS ever to have been awarded the Victoria Cross, which, with his three military crosses, made him the highest decorated SAS soldier, though Colonel Paddy Main, with four distinguished service orders, all for gallantry, all for gallantry, ran him close. Lassen came from warrior stock. His grandfather, Axel Lassen, made a fortune from tobacco in the Dutch East Indies, married into the Schau family, one of Denmark's great military clans. Anders was born on the 22nd of September 1920 at Hosingsgard, a fine country house with 50 rooms in the pillared portico near Mern in South Sealand. But when he was nine, the family moved to another manor house, Beckerskoff, only 10 miles away, which stood on high ground, with open grassland sloping away in front towards marshes and the sea. It was there he grew up, running loose in the surrounding estate with his younger brother, Franz, and their great Dane, Rufus. His mother, Suzanne, who made a name as an author of children's books, often lost track of the boys for days and nights on end, and only when she looked out of her window and saw a column of smoke rising could she tell where they had camped out with bundles of spruce branches for their beds. So this was a guy who went on to become a warrior, and clearly yeah, yeah. the foundation of his life was running loose on this vast estate where yeah. his mum just gave up, like, <laughs> the boys are gone. That's cool. And it says this here. It's interesting, isn't it, how foundational years of your mm. life can coalesce to a moment, yeah. which is certainly what happened for this guy. Back to the book. The freedom with which Anders roamed the woods and fields surely encouraged wild elements in his character and at the same time developed his field craft and shooting skills, which saved his life on many occasions during the Second World War. He was quick in everything he did with almost animal-like reactions. And Magnus, husband of the housekeeper at Beckerskoff, remembered 
that he could go down the stairs in the main building as quick as lightning and without a sound. He was like a panther, a second and he was down. From an early age, he was a killer, his favourite weapon being the bow and arrow, with which he achieved phenomenal accuracy, explaining that he never really aimed, but simply looked where he wanted his arrow to go, as if throwing a stone. He could hit birds on the wing, fish in the water, and running targets from mice to full-grown fallow bucks. Another prized possession was his hunting knife, which he sharpened fanatically and threw with deadly precision. In school, he had little time for lessons and distinguished himself only in running. At the first opportunity, he left and signed on as a cabin boy aged 18 aboard a Fionia, which sailed for Bangkok in January 1939. It's interesting, he comes from rich stock, yeah. but he just wants to be out, he just wants to adventure, he just he just wants to be he's out wild, there. isn't he? He's not ambitious, he's just wild, he's a wild guy. Yeah, like Hits a bird on a ring with his That's bow and amazing. Arrow. Yeah. When the ship returned to Copenhagen in May, he went back to Beckerskoff, where he left an indelible impression on a friend, Varinka Fixelt. Mm. I remember very clearly, she said, his incredible beauty, the looks of a perfect hero, but I was repelled by his aggressive, macho, behaviour. He had a gun and was shooting gramophone records to pieces, <laughs> using them as clay pigeons. <laughs> so, this is this is just a very interesting character and I'm yeah. obviously I'm I'm taking chunks of this book. I'm yeah, not yeah. reading yeah. all of it because but I recommend uh, you get you get this. Uh he basically carries out some mutiny in the Persian Gulf. <laughs> He's proceeding on his boat to Colombo, where Lassen tried to enlist in the Royal Air Force, but was rebuffed, being told that foreigners are not wanted. His spirits lifted when a ship was fitted with a 4.7-inch anti-submarine gun, and he was given some instruction in firing it. But in Cape Town, he deliberately made himself so objectionable that he got himself paid off. Wow. And in 1940, he joined a crew of the British Consul, an English tanker. Ends up in Oburn in the northwest of Scotland. And we read... Still, his ambition was to join the RAF, but after hanging around for two, three weeks in Newcastle, he met a young second mate called Hammer, who suggested they should go to London that night to join the army. To hell with your army, Lesson told him. I want to be an airman. Nevertheless, he agreed to go. <laughs> and so met Captain Michael Iverson, who had served in the Danish army during the First World War and who was now recruiting young Danes to fight for their country. On 25th of January 1941, along with 14 others, Lesson swore an oath on the Bible, sword in hand pledging loyalty to their king, Christian IV, and vowing they would fight together with their allies for the liberation of Denmark from foreign yoke. After an initial diversion, in which he tried to return to the sea, he found himself training with a small group of his countrymen at Aritzag, a desolate wilderness of bog, rock and mountain on the west coast of the Scottish Highlands. Although the young Danes did not know it, they were under assessment by SRE. Special Operations Executive. Yes. The secret organisation which trained agents and infiltrated them into occupied countries as saboteurs and yes. spies. The commando training at Arisag was notoriously hard. Forced marches through the fields, rock climbing, swimming, live firing, landings on the coast. Then and later, Lassen could outwalk any of his companions. He was outstandingly fast and fit and had an extraordinary power of moving so stealthily in the dark that he seemed to make no contact with the ground. One day he caused a minor sensation by killing a red deer stag with his knife. An account of the incident given to his mother by one of his contemporaries does not quite ring true. The man claimed that Lassen spotted two stags 50 yards off, shouted, I want that one, ran round some small patches of bushes 
got up close and stabbed the animal to death. Anyone who knows Highland deer may well doubt the accuracy mm. of this report. If Lassen had shouted in 50 yards, the stag would have been away like the wind, unless it was ill. It seems more likely than in character that the beast was lying down asleep. He stalked it carefully. In any case, the feat immediately confirmed his reputation as a lethal hunter who possessed exceptional skills in field craft. Now, just read this bit, because the next bit is very interesting. Mm. But, I'm adding the but myself. Mm. When it came to drill, his performance was less satisfactory. Itching for action, he had no time for square bashing and kept complaining that he had joined the army to fight, not to prance around a parade ground. He was becoming more and more difficult when, luckily for all concerned, he was taken on by Captain Gus March Phillips, who, with his second in command, Geoffrey Appleyard, had been g- given permission by Sir Colin Gubbins, the executive head of SOE, to form a small unit and train it for guerrilla operations. And then they, the story is told of how they get their first venture on a yeah. person called the Maid of Honour and they do some raids and various yeah. other bits and pieces and they see their first elements of action. Now, it's just the interesting thing for me about this. We're obviously reading here about a man who was born for... <clears throat> he had a warrior spirit. Yeah. Had that wild thing. Now, clearly, uh, in, in the military, uh, there's discipline, the deconstruction and reconstruction of young soldiers. Yeah. The... the, the you know, there's polishing issues, the parades, the endless discipline, the drills. Yeah, routine, yeah. But this guy is is not fit for that. So I just wonder, here's the thing. What if what if this SOE guys had not spotted him? Mm. What if they thought this guy is just useless at the discipline stuff? Because mm. some people are. Mm. I mean, I, I, in, in, you know, we, 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 we're not conformists. No. But if we put into a conformist situation, we all come across as less than what we are. Yeah, yeah. Hap- what would have happened to this guy if he'd not been spotted? Yeah. You can't make everyone conformist, can you? No, no, I don't think so. And not when he's shown that kind of level of aptitude for hunting. I yes. mean, to, to, to run about with a bow and arrow to hit anything you aim at and to be able to stealth kill a deer, I mean, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is serious ability. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is to all intents and purposes, he's, he's, he's being said like he's the perfect killer, he's the perfect hunter isn't it? Yeah. It's something about this guy that is different. But what if he'd not been spotted? What I'm saying is yeah, that yeah. we try to make everyone conform. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got this uniformity about culture and I think we're getting better at that. But yeah. I think we've got to learn how to embrace the Mavericks, right? Especially the guys who really don't fit, who yeah. just love the wilderness, who love yeah. aggressive things or... Do yeah. you know what I mean? There are blokes out Which there Which we now call in toxic masculinity. I think so. Yeah. But it isn't... It's not though, is it? It's just another form of. Yeah, I've um, I'm I'm developing some strong views around this toxic masculinity oh, yeah. at the moment, and um, yeah, I you know more men are in prison, more men are, are die through violence, more men die in wars, men are more likely to kill themselves. Mm. I think toxic masculinity probably applies to a small proportion of guys who are out there bullies, overly aggressive. Um, you know, women are ascending in the professions quite rightly and, you know, education and law and medicine. Mm. Um, yes, there's pay issues, but I don't even think that's been drilled into correctly. I just think masculinity is under attack, unless you need us to die in a war. Mm. I could say more. Mm. But, you know, some of us are blokes. Mm. 
There, there certainly is. There's certainly guys like that who just thrive on hunting, outside living. And some know. women, I guess. Yeah, 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 of course. But, you know... Uh, hey. But you're right, that that sausage machine of conditioning... And there's let's cultural... Make him look like there's, this. there's, I think, quite a poor cultural thing happening now where if you're anything like this, you are evil, yeah, toxic. Yeah, there is a bit of a... Right. Not right. A lynch mob go after the the kind of yeah. guy who looks like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but 100%. a war needs men like that. Yeah. But and, peacetime and, and, struggles. And, uh, you know, there's an interesting conclusion in this book. You right. bear with us. There's right. an interesting statement right at the end of this chapter, which would be good to explore. Yeah, so yeah. back to the book. Yeah. Training included the frequent use of explosives, grenades, pistols, submachine guns, but Lassen was particularly fascinated by methods of silent killing, <laughs> especially with a knife or his favourite weapon, a bow and arrow. In a personal plea to the War Office, he argued the merits of bows and arrows, claiming that a trained archer could fire up to 15 noiseless shots per minute and kill without shock or pain. So it is unlikely, shall we say, that a man would scream or do anything like that, he wrote to the War Office. The official reaction was typical. The War Office sent down two bows and arrows but gave no permission for them to be used against the enemy. (laughs) Wow. Howard felt that Lassen had a real hatred of Germans and wanted to get at them by any means he could. His colleagues sensed that the only way he could work off such bitter enmity would be killing them with a knife, with arrows, or with his bare hands. Four nights later, Lassen was in action, one of a six-man team that carried out a reconnaissance of the Channel Islands of Borjo. The rocky outcrop turned out to be uninhabited, but Lassen's participation in the raid earned him a weekend pass. And so it was on the night of Saturday 12th September, he was off duty in Bournemouth, where March Phillips led yet another raid on Normandy, Operation Aquitant. This is interesting. Lassen spent that night with friends called Knight, who reported that after dinner he was restless. He kept pacing about and peering out at the weather. He slept on a divan in the sitting room, but suddenly in the middle of the night he gave a loud yell. When Mrs Knight went to see what the matter was, he told her he was convinced his commanding officer had been killed. His premonition proved to be accurate. Hmm. Aquitant went hideously wrong. The raiders had hardly gone ashore, but they were detected by a dog belonging to a German patrol, and after a vicious firefight, they were driven off. Eight were captured, three killed, including March Phillips. Uh, and that, he goes on to talk about the battle, um, uh, which we won't go into now. Just suggest you read the book. But again, this is just a very interesting comment on this guy. Hmm. There's something about him which is otherworldly. Yeah. Isn't there? He has, yeah. There's, and you can't quite pin down what's going on here. Is, is that is that demonic? Is it, mm. God, I mean, what is that? Mm. But he he knew, mm. and he had this incredible instinct and fighting ability. And mm. I'm not going to go too far in that. I just find it's interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's very very interesting. In 1943, back to the book. Lassen's reputation reached the ears of 24 year old El Jellico, son of the celebrated First World War Admiral and himself a distinguished operational soldier who was to win the DSO and MC with the SAS. Jellico was home on leave for the Mediterranean where he had recently established the SBS, an offshoot of the original SAS, and no sooner had he interviewed Lassen than he invited him to join. So it was that Lassen went out to the SBS training base at Athlet, south of Haifa, on the coast of Palestine, and on one night when he went drinking at the bar in Tel Aviv, he laid his new commanding officer out cold. As Jellico recalled, I must have said something that offended him and ignited his quick fuse. And two or three minutes later, I found myself getting up from the floor, having already discerned exceptional qualities of leadership in his hot-headed recruit. Jellico simply took him back to camp, where Lassen apologised. 
Many less perceptive officers would have resorted to the manual of military law and the war, and the SAS would have lost a unique fighting soldier mm. to the cells. Now, something interesting there uh, about leadership mm-hmm. and um, coping with people who are different. Mm. I've always said I think a mature organisation is able to cope with mavericks and misfits yeah. and tolerates infringements of rules. I mean, obviously knocking someone out. Bit much. But they're fighting men in the middle of a war. So yeah. this is a different time. It's a yeah. different age. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have that in the CVM office if uh, no. one member staff decks another one, they're, they're out the door, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but yeah. this is a different time. But there is this thing here about conformity again. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a bit of an underlying kind of spiritual dynamic here as well that I think I think we're in a culture where if a guy displays those types of characteristics so now it doesn't have to be a fighter but like the tribal type guys like the blokes who are in the stands every Sunday watching their team and absolutely engrossed in cheering their tribe on or the blokes who absolutely love UFC love yeah. fighting and love that sort of moment of I'm going to get this aggression out I'm gonna I think there's a spiritual subtlety there that we almost feel like well those guys need Jesus and they won't want those things yeah but I love Jesus and still enjoy those things well there's an interesting thing here where it says uh, in the book there was an immense difference in Latin off duty hmm. a vague gentle charmer with a soft spot for dogs and kids hmm. and Latin in action then in the words of a radio script written by his colleague commander Adrian Seligman he was brave with a calm, deadly, almost horrifying courage, bred of a berserk hatred of the Germans who had overrun his country. He was mm. a killer too, cold and ruthless, silently with knife or point-blank range of pistol or rifle. On such occasion, there was a froth of bubbles around his lips and his eyes went dead as stones. So he, he could be borderline... Psychopath. Psychopath here. I mean... W- there's with, something not right. Yeah, there's something not right. I mean, if you are that bloodlust taken over in your mind that, you know, you want to get up close and... And it says here, someone. once he got going, he'd kill anyone. He was yeah. frightening in that way. And his yeah. view of Germans is even more personal than ours. Yeah. And it says here, uh, I do not know that if you had the opportunity, he'd kill someone with a knife rather than a shoot. He it says here, unhinged. difficult to assess if the killing instinct user was an excuse or whether it sprang from a genuine hatred of the enemy. Yeah, I go. think he was, personally, having read this story through a few times now, I think there is the maverick, the misfit, the, the talent, the gift. And then there's psychopathy. In there, mixed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's spotting that, isn't it? But in war, he found an outlet. Now, there's an interesting conclusion as they're coming up. Um, But he was disciplined. He he himself said uh, he recorded a severe verdict on some of his men. Hard training must be substituted for a lack of experience. You know, he was a driven man. He was, Mm. you know, very disciplined. But there was psychopathy. He says here, his mother said, back to the book, he could easily have spent the rest of the war in Greece up harm's way, but his demon drove him on, she said. It was as if a fever were burning within him. He remembered the American medical orderly, Sergeant Porter Jarrell. He defied death and exposed himself to the greatest dangers. He was a restless dynamo charged with energy. He had to do something to translate his thoughts into action. Life had become a race against death. He drove his jeep-like fury. He drank big gulps as if you were thirsty trying to find everything there was in life in a wild chase after fleeting happiness. Mm. But then a strange calm would settle over him as though he'd lived forever and mm. knew everything. Mm. There's some real borderline yeah, yeah, yeah. thing going on here, isn't there? Interesting, though, to see how a man was wrestling with that in a time when, I mean, you, you're going back 
70 years. I mean, it wasn't as understood, was it? He was a, he was like a, a maverick in, in a different time. Yeah. And like that man today wouldn't be understood. It would be processed and... Yeah. I do I do reflect a lot of what you're reading with, almost like David in the Bible. Maybe we'll pick this up once you've, you've finished reading the bits. But there is that something that, shepherd warrior. Yeah, played his harp, sung. Yeah, yeah. But it's cut people down. Well, I just can't wait to get to this weird... There's this weird yeah. sentence at the end of this book which really jolted me. Anyway, mm. he's now in Italy. He's constantly in warfare, special operations, and and he is a out-and-out bare-handed killer yeah all our success came from stealth we were now used for infantry assault that considering our type of soldiering was suicide mission we were rushing along with him in front blowing his whistle and shouting come on come on forward you what's it mm -hmm. get on get forward mm -hmm. ignoring the acute danger Lassen ran on again attacked the second pillbox with grenades killing the occupants and just after he had cleared it Stevenson caught up with him and during a temporary lull in the fighting they got down behind a slight rise in the road but then Lassen thrown all his grenades so he borrowed more hurling them at the third pillbox. They captured two prisoners and Lassen shouted out in German for the occupants to surrender. Someone called back Camarade, an amb ambiguous response. And uh, Lassen told the rest of his men to stay with her, stood up, went forward. There was a single burst of machine gun fire and silence. Uh, to Stevenson, the silence seemed to last 20 minutes. In fact, it was only a few seconds. Then he heard SBS, SBS, Major Lassen wounded here. He found him lying beside the pillbox entrance and tried to drag him away, but he was too big and heavy. Who is it, Lassen asked. Steve. Good. A pause. And then, Steve. I'm wounded. I'm going to die. Stevenson pulled out a morphine tablet and put it on his tongue. Morphine, he told him. We're going to take you back to the boats. No use, Steve, Lassen muttered. I'm dying, and it's been a poor show. Don't go any further with it. Get the others out. So... Right there, this isn't the bit I want to build up to, but interesting. Right there at the end, he wasn't so for the bloodlust he'd lead all his men to his death. Mm. Now, you are some soldiers we'll read mm. about going along who would, like yeah. Chesty Puller would, like all the fire onto Keep his own going. men. Yeah. But he's like, no, now it stops. So, what happened there? He rushed forward to this machine gun. Nest. There was a, some, one of the Germans called out Camarade, i.e., like, I might be surrendering. So, Lassen said, well, I'll, I'll go and investigate. And he got shot down. Wow, suckered him in. They suckered him in and killed him. Uh, he died there, did he? Yeah, so it says, uh, Stevenson tried to lift him, but both men were entangled in a telephone line. Lassen collapsed unconscious. By the time another SBS man came up, he was dead. What it says in the uh, the citation for Lassen's VC, this is 7th of September 1949. After an account of the night's actions, it concluded by his magnificent leadership, complete disregard for his personal safety, Major Lassen had... In the face of overwhelming superiority, achieved his objects. Three positions were wiped out, counting for six machine guns, killing eight, wounded others of the enemy, two prisoners taken. The high sense of devotion to duty and esteem in which he was held by the men he led, mm. added to his own magnificent courage, mm. enabled Major Lassen to carry out the task he had been given with complete success. Wow. Now this. One cannot help wondering what he might have done or become had he survived the war. Mm. In peacetime, his temper might still have been a problem, but his extraordinary wartime experiences would surely have mellowed his sharp and abrasive characteristics. He might just have gone on fighting as a mercenary. He might just have found fulfilment in charity work. It's such an interesting line. He might also, as Lord Jellicoe, who knew him well as anyone, except perhaps David Southern, told me, 
have played a leading role in politics or mm. diplomacy, mm. which is about bringing peace and resolution. Mm. He had an astonishing talent for doing things which really interested him. He loved his country, and I believe he would have played an important role in Danish affairs. His mother, Suzanne, published her moving memoir, Anders Lassen, V.C., in 1965, and ended her book with the words, I feel that I owe it to him, not only to be thankful, but also happy that he, in the short time he was allowed on this earth, was to his country a courageous warrior, and to us a good and loving son. So you've got here in this very complex character the, the wildness, the maverick, the yeah. untamed, unbridled guy who knocks his commanding officer out, and yet loved dogs and kids and could be tender. Yeah. And 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 then De La Billiere, an out-and-out warrior himself, professional soldier, mm. says he he would probably have excelled or been drawn towards charity work. I just find that a very <laughs> it, it sort of goes against the grain of everything else you read about him. Mm. Obviously, we just taking little chunks of the book it's a real mixture isn't it yeah so warrior shepherd i think so i think, I think fascinating it is. idea isn't yeah, it yeah yeah i was talking to a soldier mate of ours dave Hearn. yeah and he he's he sort of put that in my head before this warrior shepherd thing and if you look at it like churches are very orientated around developing and building and maintaining the shepherd heart yes don't they? yeah gentle caring yeah watch the flock yeah give yourself up for the flock yeah Kind, gracious, humble, yeah. all of that. Hundred percent. But the warrior side of masculinity, if you like, or men, however you want to word it, that how do we communicate to that in the church setting? I don't know that we do. I, I think it's almost seen as a bit of a bad thing. Yeah. Why would you want to punch up? Why would you feel that aggression towards something? Why? Oh, why do you, you know, I, I I channel my aggression towards Satan and injustice, work. right? And injustice. And the poor, rescuing the poor and the yeah, broken. And yeah. Which you put into practice. Try to. So, yeah, I, I, I probably am uh, on the aggressive side of leadership. Mm. But but you're also but, aggressive with your generosity, aren't you? Try to. It comes at a cost. Yeah, it does, yeah. And, and, and time. You put a fight in there as well. Yeah. Because it's easy time, to Time, money, finance. Yeah, yeah. Interesting people. Yeah. Yeah, go at it. And, and But that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Because we don't have, I, I personally don't feel, because I've been a Christian since I was like six and I've been brought up in church, I've led a church and it's quite a unique thing to come across a church that enables men to experience that shepherd heart and that warrior heart. Yeah. To, to, to enable men to find a punch up, a spiritual punch up, let's say. Spiritual dust up, yeah. And measure it and say, right, we've come through that skirmish, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, and churches need strong courageous leaders i believe so what Their ministries do so what is it that we mis- is it the language or the the ability of leaders in church to facilitate that effectively for men i mean what is it that's missing because i've not experienced it really at church it's very like me and my brother used to laugh because there's always a bloke on the door that meet you with a wet handshake do you know that's what i mean you, you put your hand forward and he grabs your yeah. fingers i don't know mate i mean i've been i've been trying to wrestle with this uh for many years now and um and I know some of our thoughts are not popular out there, um, but I I think for many years I I felt a conformity to not be the man that I that I that I am, mm. and uh, uh, you know I know that we are being changed into the likeness of Christ, mm. um, but I think even that has been uh, manipulated to be slightly on the. Uh, soft side of things mm. whereas Christ could be quite decisive and 
at times incredibly confrontational. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've I've found a, a pressure to conform to a more genteel, polite, non-confrontational style of leadership, which I've junked. Which, by nature, isn't yourself. No, it's not me. Mm. So uh, kind, I seek to be generous. Yes, gracious, time for people, but mm. decisive. And mm. there's a time for action and a time for confrontation and mm. time for radical honesty and. Mm. And there's a time for toughing it out. Yeah. See, and I think a lot of a lot of leadership training doesn't prepare people for toughing it out through tough times. Mm. Um, and it, but not all the church finds that palatable, right? Yeah. Because we've we've, we've there's a cultural overlay. Mm. Yeah. Of of shepherdness. Yeah, overly shepherdness. I think so. But but the blokes that we speak to, we talk straight. We talk honest. Yeah. We're not sugarcoating the gospel. We're no. not sugarcoating the, no. the, the how high the bar is for yeah. us. We're setting it high. We want to yeah. live lives that really reflect or, Christ. Or maybe, maybe there's different sorts of leadership. Maybe the church requires shepherds and ministries require warriors. warriors. Maybe. I guarantee there's blokes out there feeling that, though that they've learnt a shepherd heart, but deep down there's this suppressed maverick, there's this suppressed warrior. Yeah, we don't, we don't hold that back. No. Refuse to hold that back. Yeah, well, I don't even think about that anymore. Yeah. I just, I want to be authentic. So I want to be the man that God's made me to be, and I totally accept that some people... Won't like it. No, and some people are not made like that, but okay. I am, and I, and I meet many men that are. Yeah. And I'm not, I can't apologise for my masculinity. No. But it doesn't mean I'm not tender to my daughters. Of course it doesn't. Does it mean I, I can't cry? Of course I can cry, you yeah. know. Of course I can have a soft heart. Mm. I'm thinner skinned than people think, but I'm tough minded. Mm. Um Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting because it is is a real necessity for the gospel to reach these blokes. Yeah. That are totally off the church radar that look yeah. in and think, I don't want the shepherd heart. No. You've, you've misunderstood who I am. I don't want to conform to that message. Yeah, exactly. Does that mean they don't want Christ? Not at all. Yeah. Because he, he led and empowered the Mavericks, didn't he? Yeah. Like like the Brothers of Thunder and Peter. They didn't always get it right. No. But he gave him space. Gave him space to grow. To express develop. who they were. Exactly. Yeah, and I totally believe that. Is, um, is, there a, is, there a, is there a pitfall where we get into where we say, like, I need to be more like Christ and less like myself? And actually... I'm trying to say it like, what would Christ do in this situation? What would Jesus do if he was me now? It doesn't take away anything. Like, I'm still me. I'm still Nathan. I'm still the person Christ made me to be. Yeah. But I'm seeking to be led and guided by him, not yeah. not to look exactly like him because I've still got to be me. Yeah, and your journey or the way you were brought up and everything all feeds into this. It all this. feeds in. Yeah. Um, we're not, we can't be clones. But the opposite spirit takes courage. Being... Facing trials takes yeah. courage. Loving your enemies takes courage. Taking a hit on behalf of the gospel takes courage. Yeah. But I'd, I don't want to be the wet handshake guy. No. No. And there is, I think there is a time, like Ecclesiastes says, isn't it? It's a time for everything. Yeah. There's a time to be the bloke who, who wants to be out in the wild, and there's a time to be the bloke who's sitting tenderly and listening to his daughters sob about a boyfriend or. Which, which I've done. There's a whole spectrum, yeah, and we're we're and we'll continue to it. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm tender to my wife. I mean, mm. interesting the uh, 
Karen got her, uh, someone emailed her mm. message and uh, one of the things she picked up on was the way I speak tenderly about my wife and they were saying how how does Karen do that that her husband would speak like that because she's a very gracious person yeah. but I can speak tenderly to my wife and yeah. I don't like it when I see men not being kind no. to their wives you yeah, know yeah. Because uh, that's that's a wrong masculinity. Yeah, it's not refined. It's not been purified. So we're not saying don't be tender, don't be kind, don't be gracious, don't no. be loving, don't be romantic. But you're we're all not saying that. that. Yeah, yeah. But it's the, it's the warrior shepherd blend, isn't it? It's interesting though. How some people are more warrior, and some people are more shepherd. Yeah, exactly. Fine. Yeah, fine. Absolutely fine. Get on with it. Yeah. But it is interesting. Any dialogue about that gets shut down as toxic. And the attack dolls come in. Yeah. And it, I think it's a real shame. So we yeah. just have to live it out. But I actually think, mate, I'm going to go as far as to say it is reprehensible mm. for for people to be saying that, that masculinity is toxic, to use that language, and get away with it all the time. Yeah. Because it, it, you're not going to get an argument going. You're not no. going to get a... You're not, sorry, not gonna, you're going to get an argument going. You're not going to get dialogue progress and yeah. dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we were to say femininity is toxic, mm. man. Yeah, yeah. You know, so them. I think that's got to stop. Yeah, that's a good you know, point. Get the dialogue. Get point. the dialogue going. But we'll listen. What, we'll listen. But you, you know, I'll tell you what we are seeing. We oh. are seeing, and and I don't want to use the word army, but a movement of men that actually, if we if we can't dialogue on the twitters and in the social medias, and we're just going to live this out. You are going to live we're, it out. We're going to live now, it out in our homes. Here's my experience of men, and I've I've specialised in working with men now for many many years, over yeah. two decades, way over two decades. You've got a passion for men, haven't you, mate? Passion for men. Great passion for men. I, uh, I'm with men on their own. They talk about their kids. Yeah. They talk about their wives. They talk tenderly about their families. Yeah. And there's this thing out there. Oh, you just talk about football and beer and cars. No, 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 no. We'll be out tonight for a beer. We talk about our families. We oh, talk yeah. about our relationships. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we talk tenderly about our kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just set this YouTube channel up. You're just spending time with your kids doing yeah. games. Big Dad Creates. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful stuff. Um, it's not what we are portrayed. No. You know, my mind is on my kids. Yeah. You know, and my oh, da- yeah. I worry about my daughters all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's not what people think. But I think the movement is, we just live it out. We're just going to live We're it out. Listen to the... You can't stop the, a movement. No, you can't stop a movement. It's deep. Thanks for tuning in. Code Life Podcast, spread the news, subscribe, yeah. uh, share it, put it out on Facebook. Watch the YouTubes. Yeah. Uh, don't forget the gathering where these dialogues will continue from the oh, main mate. stage. And get uh, kitted out and resourced. The manuals. That's little, it. Little box set there, look. That's it. You wrote that one, mate. I did write that one. So get the, yourself going. The, yeah, get yourself going. It's a new believer, the U version. I've written a few, you've written a few. You've done now. those. Yeah, prayer, Bible, church. What's it all about? Yeah. Actually, ain't that non believing, guys, actually. You know, it's easy read. And you can go on the U version Bible app and get a sample of these to do as a devotional yep. for free. Yeah, loads of stuff on the U version. I actually had a guy email me the other day saying he reads the prayers out to the guys in his, uh, from that's the cool. manuals to yeah, his uh, cool. men's group. And uh, we're just in the process of finishing off rewriting the code. Oh, yeah. Uh, so more on that uh, coming up. But look, cvm.org.uk for a whole chunk of resources. Uh, the code really is quite a groundbreaking thing. It it's really me. getting out there. So, but also, if you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with two and a half thousand at least other men in a field near Swindon in June for what is our big festival of all things masculine and Christ, yeah, then uh, get yourselves booked in on the website. There's still a bit of time to book in before the prices go up. So. Yep. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Mr. Beachy, uh, Mr. Beachy, Nathan Blackaby, and and worth saying as well, something about CVM. 
we are a charity and one of our one of our regional guys recently he sent an email out to his mates and just said would you be interested in supporting cvm financially it was it was a bit of a cheeky ask uh, but his mates were like yeah we are thanks for asking us uh, awesome so a team up in newcastle supporting us and come on we love yeah. that yeah and this cool. movement is growing because you guys out there fuel it and uh yeah, we, so we are a charity you know a few quid a month goes a long way to helping us get out there and keep this thing going and yeah. keeps us shine the road and men coming to christ so That's it, mate. cheers nathan cheers bg